From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Mitch Pacwa. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Wednesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Fasten your seatbelts. Father Mitch is in the house. If you'd like to be part of the program, give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com i'm jack williams michael mccall producing the program your call screener is matt gubensky and ace mckay handling our social media efforts so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every single Wednesday. Father Mitch Paqua, how are you? Fine. How are you? Terrific, thank you. Have you got some emails over there? Yes, I All do. Right. Do you want me to answer them? Sure. Okay. Gilda writes, now that we Catholics are observing the season of Lent and Easter, would you please address why the date of Good Friday and Easter change. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not the only one that needs help with how to explain and answer the two following questions. Please, when I was gathering friends, I was asked, why is Jesus' birth always on December 25th, uh, Christmas, and why does Jesus' death and resurrection different every year? I realized it's because the Jewish calendar for Passover is a little confusing to explain. Okay. We are dealing with the way human beings have looked at the year in very different ways. We still see the same basic difference between the Muslim and the Christian calendar to this day and the Jewish and Christian calendar. Muslims and Jewish people uh, follow a lunar calendar. The moon's cycle is approximately 28 days or so. It varies slightly, but um, it's not quite exactly 28, but it's about that. And that is something that anybody can easily observe. You see the lunar cycle go through every month. And that was the first basis for coming up with a calendar. And Passover, as well as Easter, is based on when the first full moon after the spring equinox begins. So the spring equinox, this is when it's half day, half night. So it's 12 hours each. That is in uh, March. And then, of course, the autumn equinox is in September. 
six months later. And at that point, they mark the beginning of the year. And that was especially true to mark the beginning of the year at the spring equinox in Babylon. So the Jewish people marked Passover, and it was the after the uh, 14 days after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Then uh, Christians didn't want to follow exactly. They always wanted Easter to be on a Sunday because Christ died on a Friday, rose on a Sunday. Um, so they would, at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., they decided that they'd been doing this before, but they made it official, that Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Okay? That's how they determine Easter. At the first full moon after the uh, uh, f- the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. So that's that's the basis of Easter. Now, with Christmas, it's kind of connected because the ancient folks knew that there was uh, there were two years in which Good Friday was the first day of Pentecost. On one year, that occurred on March 25th, and the other year, it occurred on April 6th. And that was the basis for determining Christmas. Christmas would be nine months after the day they believed Jesus had died. The problem is, which year was it? That was not clear. So in the Roman Rite Church, in the Western Church, they celebrated on the 25th of December, nine months after March 25th, which is when they thought Jesus was crucified. In the Eastern Church, they thought of it as nine months after April 6th. So they celebrate Easter or Christmas in the Eastern Church on January 6th. And because of that gap, we eventually developed the 12 days of Christmas in between the 25th to the 6th. So, you know, we don't, nobody knows which year it was, but it was one of those two years because those are the only times around the time of Christ's death that Passover began on a Friday. So that's how they determined Christmas uh, on the basis of Good Friday. And the way we, we determine Easter is that it's on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. That's, that's the way it is, okay? Is that simple enough, Jack? 
I think so. Okay. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. You got another one there? Yes, I do. Do you have one you can answer in three minutes? Yes. Tom in San Antonio had a question about the funeral at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, some reports indicated there was this was not a mass. I work for a bereavement team in my parish. I can find nothing on Catholic funeral services other than a mass. Can you point me to the documents at the Vatican or USCCB for any non-mass services? There are vigil services, wakes and rosaries, and graveside services. Um, uh, but what happened? First of all, they were at that service. They were going to have a mass. Midway, some of the people who were there were using very vile language, very vulgar language, um, during the uh, little you know talks you know, for the people, for the woman that died, Gentile, and who herself was an atheist and was against you know forgiveness of sins. She didn't believe in forgiveness because she didn't believe that it was a sin, and so. During this, they were call, just really vile words in Spanish and such. The priest said, we're not going to have a Mass. We'll just do the commendation service. It was a Marinol priest. Now, uh, that's what they did, just the commendation service from there. So, so you're right. Normally we have a Mass, but in this case, you, uh, they used the commendation service. That's what you got there. So, uh, and th- this, this was something, people are trying to make that into an anti-transvestite, transition, and all this other. That's baloney. These people were rude, and they used foul language from the pulpit in a cathedral. And the shame for shutting that down belongs to them who did that. They said nothing, they're trying to make it into a political issue, and it's about them being rude and cruel, crude, and that is unacceptable. So that's why they didn't have a mass, and they did a mass of reparation because of all that. And they also pro- portray, uh, pro- proclaimed her a saint, uh, but they used she uh, the the mother of prostitutes, so they used a very vile Spanish word for that. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Wednesday with Father Mitch Paqua. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, here at EWTN, we're committed to spreading the gospel from a Catholic perspective touching millions via television, radio, publishing, and the Internet. And right now, EWTN is looking for qualified people to fill a number of exciting positions. Uh, make a difference by using your God-given talent. Visit EWTN.com employment today. And we're actually looking for a radio producer. So check it out today, EWTN.com employment. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 
uh, 833-288-3986. Still a couple of open phone lines. We're going to get to Ray in just a minute in Cincinnati, Ohio. But first, Father, Katie's watching on YouTube and wants to know, how do I convince my brother who left the Catholic Church that the woman in Genesis 3.15 is Mary and not Eve? Well, first of all, you can ask him to read the text. <laughs> that will do it. Because if you notice, it doesn't say... I will put enmity between <laughs> you uh, and uh, the, uh, well, let me just read it. Enmity I will put between you and between the woman, between your seed and between her seed. So you say, aha. So the enmity is between the serpent and Eve. But it's also between the serpent's seed and the woman's seed. Now, this is a, one of the oddest verses in the Bible because women are not the ones who contribute seed to the conception of a child. And when you take a look at the uh, Greek you, you can see it even more uh, clearly. Ana meson to spermatosu, meson tu spermatos altes, her sperm. Now, that's not biologically correct. A, a woman, of course, uh, has uh, ova, and they receive the sperm of a male you know, during conception. So how is this possible? Unless, of course, you are talking about the conception of a child in the womb of a virgin to whom no man has any, with whom no man has anything to do. There is no involvement of a man in the conception of the child Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And that would be the one woman who has seed in, in all of human history. So this points to the future and to somebody very different than the, than the woman. And uh, uh, it's something that, that brings us, you know, to you take a look at that, especially in light of the serpent continuing his enmity with the mother of the Messiah. And you see that played out in Revelation chapter 12, where the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet gives birth to a son who rules the earth with an iron rod. That is a quote from Psalm 2, a messianic psalm. And then her son is taken up to heaven, and the serpent continues his enmity against her, even after he is defeated by St. Michael and his angels. The serpent pursues the woman to, to attack her, but the earth saves her. So this is something that clearly refers to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, I don't know if that will convince your brother, but... I would recommend, a, and I don't know what 
he is arguing for. Eve is not the mother of the Redeemer. She is the ancestress of all humans, including Christ. But she is not the mother of the Redeemer. She is not her seed that eventually strikes at the head of the serpent and defeats him. So that would be something she'd have to deal with. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. As advertised, we head to Cincinnati, Ohio. Ray is listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Ray, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. How are you doing, Father Mitch? I'm well, thank you. What can we do for you? Okay, um, I'm trying to make this as short as I can. Have you read the book uh, Peter Paul and Mary Magdalene from Bart uh, Ehrman? I no, I haven't. I've not even heard of that book. I know he's written a number of books, but I don't know that book at all. Yeah, it's, it's a real good one. It's Peter Paul and Mary Magdalene, and I picked it up in the library. Um, I had some questions. Uh, I was raised Catholic, uh, but I'm still uh, trying to figure out a few things here. Sure, sure. Um, and if you could... if, if you. Um, if you can recommend a, a little bit better book for me to read about Mary Magdalene, I appreciate it. But in this book, um, he uh, he describes how Mary Magdalene, uh, you know, when we were raised as, as Catholics and young kids, and uh, we had some uh, disparaging um, uh, feelings toward her, how she was, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she was a bad woman and stuff like that. Right. So according to this. Um, you know, she, she was a follower of Christ, and uh, she follow, followed Jesus um, mm-hmm. close to him. She supported him. Right. And, and also, along with this, uh, it was talking about when, uh, like, multitudes of crowds would 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 hear Christ uh, or Jesus speak, but actually there might have been 20 or 25 people, but they described it as differently, But and that Mary Magdalene... Um, actually supported Jesus, um, if you want to call it kind of like a whim, and Jesus stood up for, like, if you want right. to say, yeah, I know. Live, in other words, so what's, your, but what's the question? My, my question is, is and um, how authentic is this reading that I'm doing about her, sure. Sure. and is there a better, is there a better book that I could uh, maybe pick up uh, to find out uh, more about her? Um, there, I don't have any titles on Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene has become uh, more of a focus of uh, attention than in the past. Uh, the reason that you, you know, the tra- traditional Christianity, uh, not just Catholicism, but all Christians, uh, saw Mary Magdalene as uh, a, a loose woman, uh, sometimes as a converted prostitute, is because there is, uh, the, in the place where she is mentioned, there's also mention of her having seven demons driven from her. And then right before that was an episode in the Gospel of Luke about a, another woman who was a prostitute. And a lot of times what happened is readers conflated that prostitute that washed Jesus' uh, feet with her tears and dried him with her hair, with Mary Magdalene, who's mentioned not long afterward, and that is an uh, uh, I I think uh, I would ag- I would agree with Doctor Ehrman that 
uh, it is uh, an incorrect conflation. And the church, you know, on the Feast of Mary Magdalene does not make that conflation. You know, we, we, they, they make it clear that it's a different person. So um, that's not, you know, official church teaching. It was a popular supposal, and the, the liturgy on the Feast of Mary Magdalene doesn't include that. In terms of other uh, texts, what here's what I would do. There is a commentary on the Gospel of Luke. Uh, put out by uh, the Word Publishers. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite uh, commentaries, partly because it has such wonderful bibliography for every single section of the Gospel of Luke. And if you, I, I again, I don't have the author at the top of my head, but I know it's in the the Word. Uh, commentary series, and it's a uh, three-volume work just on the Gospel of Luke, I would go to that passage about Mary Magdalene, and you will see a wide variety of very serious uh, research on uh, Mary Magdalene there. And that would be well worth your while. And you can get it in most library uh, well in, in university libraries you'll see that series it's a, a really fine series and that would be the way i would do D- does that make sense so that makes sense hey, uh, father mitch if you would get a chance uh if you would uh maybe just uh pick up that book peter paul and mary magdalene because mm-hmm. i listen to your program all the time mm-hmm. and if you read that um just give me your insight on that i'd, I'd certainly appreciate it okay yeah. You know, Bart uh, Ehrman is uh, someone who has done some very fine scholarship. Uh, he is published in a number of the scholarly journals. He's done good work. But at the same time, he is also someone who has lost uh, uh, his faith. He frequently also uh, will make um, unfair Criticisms. I mean, you know, criticisms of um, the, the the scripture and things that are not well founded. He makes a number of his own supposals. For instance, this idea that there are only twenty or thirty people. Uh, if you notice, not a single one of the gospels says that, do they? I don't know if you paid paid attention, but. All the Gospels are in 100% agreement in all four that there were large crowds following Christ. So much so that at, uh, uh, and they apparently were paying attention so that when he multiplied loaves and fish on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, he said there were 5,000 men. But when he was on the east side, he said it was 4,000 men. They, they were paying attention. And they weren't try, trying to exaggerate or something. They're just describing these large crowds that followed Jesus. And so uh, when Dr. Ehrman says that, you know, there are only 20 or 30, he has only his own supposition for saying that. Nothing more. 
And so uh, I, I don't have, you know, a lot, a lot of respect for that. Also, when he says there are no manuscripts, another one of his books, there are no manuscripts that give the names of the authors. I held in my hand a manuscript from 175, the oldest one of Luke, has Luke's name on it. Says it was by Luke. So he's not always up up to snuff on something. It's EWTN's Open Line Wednesday with Father Mitch Pacwa. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. How about John Noland? Yes, that's it. John John, Noland. Yes. Uh, It's volumes 35A, B, and C. In uh, in the Word Biblical Commentary series. Word Biblical Commentary, John Noland. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a 61 volume set, but it's volumes 35A, B, and C. It looks like yes, Luke. yes, yeah. and, and it's really quite good. I don't like all the volumes. And that's N O L L A N D. N O L L A N D. Noland. Yes, yes. All right, very good. Uh, next up is PJ in the great state of Florida, listening on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. PJ, you're on with Father Mitch. They can electrically shut off power to the house. Hello. Oh. Well, PJ, you're on with Father Mitch. Yep. All right, let's uh, go to Mary. She is in the great state of Iowa today, um, listening to us via the Amazon Echo. Mary, you're on with Father Mitch. Hi, Mary. Are you there? I am here, yes. You're on with Father Mitch. Hi, Father Mitz. How are you today? Fine. What can we do for you? Good, good. I'm honored to to visit with you. I have a quick question over Lent now. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine has asked me this, and I'm so blessed to get your words of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she is dealing with something through Lent now that she's trying to ask God for forgiveness and fasting and praying and... um, it's kind of some relatives that she has that just kind of reject her because of her faith. And, and anyway, um, a priest at one time had set an example that I heard, mm-hmm. and I tried to relay that back to her. On He was doing Mass, and there were some fruit flies. It was in a remote area, and they were in the blood of Jesus. And he kind of said under his breath, my dear Lord, how, you know, stop these fruit flies from coming in. And, and he said just like that, he heard the words of Jesus speak to him and say, how do you think I felt with the flies eating my face? Yeah. And he just stopped mass and just, oh, my heart just wants to cry. Yeah. How do we, even though Jesus came in flesh as human, how did he still um, forgive those? How can I tell her mm-hmm. how Jesus forgave those that pounded the nails into his hands? Yep. Thank you for your show. You do a great job. God Thank bless. you, ma'am. Now, here's one of the things, Mary. Um, I would ask this friend of yours, who's being rejected by her, her in-laws, um, this is a horrible thing. And it, it's obviously painful to her. And I would ask her to meditate on how right after 
our Lord was nailed to the cross, the soldiers and the people were both mocking him as he's suffering. Now, this is bad enough to cause suffering, but making fun of him is something else. Um, you know, I, I, I remember uh, he, hearing a story of some boys that as their father and uncles were butchering a pig on their farm, and they were teasing the pig as it was dying. And the uncles and the father, you know, just wore them out because this animal is losing its life to feed us. And you don't show mockery or disrespect to an animal. The soldiers and the crowd were mocking a fellow human being. And it probably wasn't the first time they did that to someone crucified as a criminal. And this is something that uh, humans sometimes slip into. But at the same time that she contemplates that and sees that what she's going to, through from her relatives is just like that. There's a, there's a strong parallel to her suffering as well as Christ's. In the face of that, remember what our Lord said as the mockery was going on and as he's hanging there. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is not only an act of praying for the Father to forgive them, but it's also giving the excuse. And the way that our Lord was at peace as he said that, even though he was suffering, there was that kind of interior peace that he could have in the knowledge of the Father's love and the Holy Spirit's presence, that he could forgive and even give the excuse to the Father. Now, he didn't change their behavior by doing that. She also has to consider that aspect. They didn't stop mocking Jesus at that point. It's not until he actually died that they then went away silent and striking their breasts. They began to realize, you know, after he had died, that Maybe they had gone just too far. And his suffering at that point is the source of healing. Remember Isaiah 53. Ask her to also look at that and meditate on that. That it's by Christ's wounds that we are healed. His suffering heals us. And I would ask that as she contemplates that scene on the cross and she unites her pain, her suffering with that of Jesus, that she trusts that our Lord Jesus will take that and use it to bring healing that she may not see yet, but someday she will. That's what I would recommend that she do. 
Let's go back to the great state of Florida. PJ, again, listening on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. PJ, are you there? Hello. Hello. What can we do for you? So you Catholics say that you got to obey the priest no matter what? Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a second. I got a relative that priest told her to take her noisy kid out of church. I told her to take the whole family out of church. Okay. First of all. Um, where did you ever he- read that we have to obey a priest no matter what? She because, told me that. Well, she's incorrect. She's incorrect. Okay. No, as a matter of fact, uh, we um, may not obey a priest if he tells us to do something sinful. Now, in that kind of case, where the 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 Kids are making a lot of noise. This is something, you know, I don't know the priest's age, uh, but it's something that we deal with all the time. You know, children make noise, and especially real little guys, they sometimes scream um, louder than the choir. And, you know, we usually have a little room that uh, is for crying children. And I don't know exactly how he said it or what. I mean, there, there are, I tend not, as a matter of fact, I don't say anything. I just sort of try to get louder than the kid. Um, Sounds of life. That's what that is. Exactly. Exactly. You know, this is, uh, and most of our parents have, you know, the, you know, sometimes when a kid starts screaming, there's not much you can do except maybe take them out to the to the cry room where we leave a speaker so they can still hear us but we don't get to hear the kids um that is the only thing but it's not uh something that it's not a catholic teaching that you do whatever a priest tells you um you know in that kind of case it would be more like you know um when you're at somebody's house Usually the lady of the house or the man of the house might say to your kids, uh, stop hitting my furniture with a hammer or something, whatever. Uh, that happened in one family I knew. Um, you know, that, and they have a right to do that. And that's just a practical thing. But, you know, uh, you don't leave the church because a priest asks you to have your kids go to a place where they can, won't be drowning out or distracting the rest of the congregation. It's a small thing, and you just try to do it. But uh, we don't teach that you do whatever a priest. If a priest gives instruction that is in line with our faith and our morals, yes, but not anything. So... Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN radio family. Aquinas Communications 98.3 FM in Dubuque, Iowa is celebrating eight years as an EWTN affiliate. Congratulations to Tom Oglesby and his team at KCRD from your friends here at EWTN. Next up is Gina, first-time caller in the great state of Georgia, listening at EWTN.com. Gina, you're on with Father Mitch. Hi, Father Mitch. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, did you send an email? I did, I did. Yeah, I was just about to answer. We ran out of time. Now you're here. Go ahead with your question. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, 
Yes, I, I saw your show a few nights ago with Mr. Abraham about, mm-hmm. you know, Christians and history and, and standing up, mm-hmm. um, defending against Islam, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I was reading this book, and I forget the author's name, but it was um, The Crucifix on Mecca's Front Porch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read part of it, half of it. I had to stop because some of the things they described that... Um, the Muslims did to people who didn't convert. It was just too horrible. I had to quit reading it. Mm-hmm. But I read the part where um, Muhammad, before he uh, created Islam, he went to a cave, and then he said, or it was said that St. Gabriel appeared to him, and all he said was for Muhammad to recite. Mm-hmm. And that's how the Quran started being uh, mm-hmm. written down. Right. And I just... And and then that interview you had with Mr. Abraham and how it, it was being said that um, Islam people are supposed to hate their enemies or hate people that don't believe they, the way they do. Mm-hmm. Um, that, um, I'm sorry, how could that be our Archangel Gabriel to tell someone to do that? Um, okay, let me explain a little something first, Gina. Um Muhammad went to a cave outside of Mecca, beginning around 610 A.D., okay? And he was, you're right, he went there and he believed that a spirit gave him that message and told him to recite. Now, he didn't write anything down. Muhammad didn't know how to read or write. He, he was illiterate uh, in that literal sense. And uh, it was only uh, later, uh, especially after uh, his death, that his disciples began writing down the verses. He didn't identify the personage that was speaking to him. He went back... Because, you know, as you remember, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he said, I am Gabriel, who stand before the Lord. Uh, so he identified, uh, St. Gabriel, the archangel, identified himself when he spoke to Zechariah. But not so when he spoke to Muhammad. Whoever spoke to him did not say he was the angel Gabriel. But his wife, Khadija, his, his first wife, uh, knew that the angel Gabriel was the one who uh, spoke to Zechariah and the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph. So she was the one who said, well, that's probably the archangel Gabriel. That was her supposal, not something that Muhammad actually said and and taught. So that's... uh, uh, And given that there are a number of serious contradictions between the Qur'an and the Gospels. Um, It cannot be the same angel Gabriel. So in the Qur'an, uh, uh, Surah 3, I I forget which one, is it Surah 3 or 4, verse 157, that says uh, they thought they had crucified him, but they hadn't. Um, 
you know, the, it, the Quran denies the crucifixion of Jesus. And um, this is something that would be quite a contradiction, correct? So we we don't uh, think at all that it's the same spirit, and if they are consistent, um, where they they can't uh, understand that the uh, same spirit is speaking to in the New Testament as in the Quran, because they say things that are contradictory. For instance, Our Lady is called, the Blessed, or Mary, the mother of Jesus, is called the daughter of Imran. Imran is the father of Moses and Aaron and their sister Mary, Miriam. And we would say, oh no, that's not the, the same. That's not the same. So, um, you know, we, we can see that there are quite a few contradictions, and it can't be the same spirit. Does that help? Yes, it, it does. It's book four. Book four, yes. Surah 4, verse 157, um, that uh, they thought Jesus was crucified. He wasn't. So this would be something um, that would be the the, the very different. Does that help? It does. It does. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you, Gina. We appreciate the phone call. Dr. Anthony Clark is in the house. He's going to be on the program tonight. Yes. Uh, and and I think he makes it. He 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 investigates an interesting point. In the name of ecumenism, a lot of things get amalgamated into the Catholic faith that don't belong. Right. And we're going to be talking especially about Buddhism. Uh, because there are quite a number of Catholics, especially since the 1960s, that want to, you know, bring them together, but in ways that don't fit Buddhism or Catholicism. That's one of the problems, and um, we'll we'll be talking to him about that because he uh, uh, actually wrote this in Beijing, China, um, you know, while he was uh, living there. And he is quite an expert on the Orient, on uh, China in particular. But you know, on of course, you have to understand these other religions. And that's tonight on EWTN Live, eight Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Mary is in the great state of Connecticut, listening on Sirius XM Channel One Thirty. Mary, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Mitch. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Father. Hi. What's uh, up? Hi. Uh, we are definitely Catholic, Roman Catholic. Uh, keep, you know, live our faith the best we can. Um, my daughter was asked to serve as a justice of the peace for her da- uh, sister-in-law, who is getting married in September. So they, so her sister-in-law is also Catholic, non-practicing, however, mm-hmm. and. Um, the, the man she's marrying, they're, again, uh, Christian, but in good people, uh, they're certainly mm-hmm. friends. Uh, my question is, so, so we, we talked, my daughter and I talked about this, and I said, well, you really can't do that, uh, but let's ask Father Mitch and find out some why. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? So you that's know, why I'm 
I, I know it's not acceptable, certainly. Yeah. Um, it, 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 this is, uh, uh, is your daughter already a justice of the peace? No, no. No. Oh, they're asking her to become a justice of the peace in order to do this. Maybe my verbiage is wrong. They're asking her to officiate the marriage ceremony. No, no, she can't do that. You know, there are, here, there are, it's one of these things where you go online, get made a uh, minister, and then you do a wedding. Say again, that I'm there, sorry? There, there, <clears throat> there's a company that um you know you go online <coughs> excuse me and they give you a certificate that you're a minister and you can do marriages oh well see, my daughter does, has no interest in that at all right right uh, right and but i mean uh, i don't but well see i'm a little confused is she already a justice of the peace absolutely not okay and she uh they're asking her to officiate uh, at a wedding, and this would be something very contrary. That uh, you know, you know, ex- there, there are times when, say, uh, uh, a couple is on a long sea journey, and there is no priest around. They can be married by the captain of a ship. Now, this was especially the case when. People were traveling, you know, for instance, uh, they would go from Europe to China, and it took two years to, to get there, um, or at least a minimum of a year to get there, sometimes two years, depending on where you're going in Asia. And, uh, you know, in those situations, we uh, certainly do uh, allow people to get married, but you know, to take the role of a priest, especially for someone who is Catholic and, uh, you know, is asking you to do this uh, not as part of your job. You know, Catholic people who are judges and stuff do these civil weddings, and the the Church recognizes that's a state issue. They have no problem with that. But this is going out of the way to become some sort of an official— for a wedding and doing the, the, the officiating at it, that would be something not permitted, um, you know. And you know, let her, you know, let the uh, sister-in-law know that you know this is something that really belongs. Uh, the, the marriage needs to be centered on God, not on yourselves. You need to have our Lord at the center. And the role of the church in celebrating a marriage is to keep that direction. It's not about a beautiful natural uh, setting, the beach, the woods, whatever. No, it's about having that relationship as a lifelong relationship for both people to be centered on our Lord. And the minister uh, uh, can uh, of the church is the one who should do that. And uh, to take away from that is not permitted. Does that help? That that helps. My my daughter is asked only because they're friends. Yeah, uh, I I understand. And, you know, but but it's still, um, you know, if, if I was friends 
with somebody, I still couldn't go to a military base and pretend to be a general and give orders to go forward and attack. That's not who I am. And this is where you call upon the, the, uh, the, the church to be there. And we would accept, you know, a, a non-Catholic minister if they get to, um, you know, if they say if they get permission from the Catholic side, you know, that we recognize marriages by non-Catholic ministers. But it has to be focused on Christ. He's the center of the marriage. Quickly, we'll go to Anthony in the great state of North Carolina, listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Anthony, mm-hmm. just a couple minutes left with Father Mitch. What's your question? Okay, that's a quick question. What is a victim's soul, and how does someone know if they're a victim's soul? You know, there. Uh, this is something that uh, I think has to be addressed gingerly. The, by victim's soul, these are oftentimes... It's a designation, not an official church category, but it's oftentimes uh, used to describe people who have extraordinary suffering and that they offer their suffering for the good of other people and for the good of the church. Uh, They unite that suffering with Christ and they offer it up. And there have been a number of people who have sicknesses that, you know, are quite extraordinary, and they can't do anything except suffer, and they make a full sacrifice of that by uniting it with Christ's suffering. And it would be whether or not a person, you know, is going through that kind of suffering, uh, that you would know if that's the case, and if they unite it with Christ, especially at Mass. That's the place to unite their suffering with Christ or in the Eucharist if they can't get to Mass. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Lord, bless you all and keep you the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Mitch Pacwa, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line Wednesday. Back at it tomorrow with Father Brian Milady. Until then, God bless.